Back in the 1940s and 50s, jazz was among the most popular forms of American music. The so-called big band sound, practiced by 12-piece, 18-piece, or even larger orchestras, made stars out of the likes of such legends as Duke Ellington, Count Basie, and Dizzy Gillespie. If you lived in Wilmington back then, and you were a white, you might be able to see big names like these playing at Wrightsville Beach's fabled Lumina Pavilion. Those were the days of segregation, however, and if you were black, you weren't allowed to go to the Lumina. There was a Wilmington club, however, where touring jazz musicians of the day performed, largely, if not entirely, for black audiences. It was called The Barn, and it was located on South 11th Street between Wright and Mears Streets. The barn had closed by the mid-1950s, and the building was torn down long ago. But greats like Cab Calloway and Lionel Hampton played there. So did Ellington, Basie, Gillespie, and even Louis Armstrong. And so the legend of the barn lives on. This is Cape Fear on Earth, the podcast exploring the legends, historical oddities, and landmark stories of southeastern North Carolina. I'm your host, John Staten, and I'm a reporter with the Star News here in Wilmington. We're a Gannett paper that's part of the USA Today Network. My guest this week is Wilmington native and jazz historian Larry Rennie Thomas, who now lives in Chapel Hill. Thomas, who's also a veteran radio broadcaster, does a weekly jazz show for WCOM in Carborough. Thomas has written extensively about jazz in North Carolina, and he's working on a book about what he calls the Carolina Jazz Connection, about the dozens of well-known jazz artists, including such giants as John Coltrane, Nina Simone, and Thelonious Monk, who had to flee the racism of their home state in order to find success playing music. Thomas said he plans to include a chapter on the barn, which he's been researching since the 1980s, in an upcoming book. Thomas appears in the 2016 jazz documentary I Called Him Morgan, which you can find on Netflix. The film was based largely on Thomas's book, The Lady Who Shot Lee Morgan, and the book includes interviews with the late Wilmington resident Helen Morgan, common-law wife of the jazz trumpeter Lee Morgan, who she was convicted of killing in 1972. Thomas is also the author of the book The True Story Behind the Wilmington Ten, and he appears in Christopher Everett's documentary Wilmington on Fire about the 1898 Wilmington Coup and Massacre. Now, you grew up in Wilmington. Um, what was the first you ever remember hearing about the barn? Big Ellington, man. And, uh, he liked the big bands. Sarah he had good taste. Yeah. He was a mailman, a letter carrier, and whenever he would come home from work, he would take his clothes off and fix himself a drink. And he'd always put on his music, and we didn't really dig it. We didn't really <laughs> like it, but uh, we finally grew to understand what it was all we, I grew up on Wright Street, between right. 12 and 13. Oh, well, so right around the corner. Huh? So right around the corner. Yeah, so, you know, we on our way to the store when I was a kid, we would pass by this, well, it was in ruins at that time. It was a raggedy building, and yeah. it was, you know, it, it hadn't been demolished, but it was in pretty bad shape, you know. Yeah. And I would always ask my dad, I said, well, what was that? He said, the barn. I said, what was the barn? He said, it was a dance hall. He said, everybody came there. Duke Ellington and Count Basie and Cab Calloway. And he would always talk about the barn, man. I mean, yeah. it's, 
incessantly talking about the barn all the time. And he would watch TV. And when he was for like the Kyle Basie dad or yeah. fans that were very popular. Yeah. And he would say, I said, where? Because my, my father, all of his siblings <laughs> went north. They went to, uh, most of them went to New York and the others yeah. went, uh, one of them went, other two went to Chicago. So okay. he hated the north because most of his brothers and sisters, when they went up there, they had pretty bad luck. So yeah. he did he wasn't going to go to New York. You know, he, told, he was the baby of the family. Yeah. And he told his, he told his parents, he said, well, I'm not going to New York. I'm, I'm going to stay right here in Wilmington. Mm -hmm. So whenever he would see these people on on the TV, he would say, oh, I've seen them before. Yeah. So I said, I, and I knew he hadn't gone to New York because he hated New York. Mm -hmm. So I would say, well, where did you see these people? You know, I mean, you never went to New York. He said, I saw them at the barn. That's amazing, and that's, you know, I guess we should mention here that, you know, well, I guess, first of all, when was the Barnes heyday? When was it, you know, when was it, uh, when was it first uh, opened? I got the impression that it was, the, it was the late 40s and the early 50s. Okay. And the barn was located right around the corner from where we lived. Yeah. On 11th and Mayor's. Yeah. We were on Wright Street, and the next street is Mayor Street. And we were on, on Wright Street between 12th and 13th. Yeah. Well, whenever we would walk to the store, we would see this old building. Yeah. Well, and then. The yeah, and then, well, th I think it's important to mention that, you know, jazz at that time in the 40s and 50s, that was a, one of the most popular forms of music there was, right? And that was, so that was like, I mean, I think you, like you wrote in your story, it was very similar to kind of hip hop or pop today. It was, it was a popular music, right? Yeah. Mr. Wittig, because he sounds like quite a character in his own right. He was kind of the owner, impresario. Um, he was the creator oh, yeah. of the barn, right? He was the what now? He was the creator of the barn. I guess he, I mean, it was his business, yeah. right? Yeah, his, um, I interviewed his daughter yeah. before she passed. 
They had a nice home on, uh, it, oh, I guess it still is, on uh, 7th Street between, let's see, what is that? It must be Worcester and Queen. Yeah. And this is where some of the, some of the musicians would stay because that was during the era of Jim Crow. That's interesting. So like, so like the traveling musicians would, he would put them up in his house sometimes. Oh yeah. That's, oh yeah. That's she wild. told me that, um, well, she showed me an old scrapbook. And the first thing she showed me was a contract between Joe Glazer, yeah. who was a, a, a well-known booking agent and manager, who was also a crook, <laughs> and Lionel Hampton. It had Lionel Hampton's signature, signature there, and had uh, Joe Glazer's signature. 18-piece band for 1800. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. 1952. Wow, eighteen-piece band. How wild must it have been to see that big band up there? Eighteen pieces. Well, that's, what, that's what he liked. Yeah. She said her grandfather—that's what he wanted to hear those big bands. And most of the people who frequented the barn—that's what they wanted to hear. Yeah. The big, the big bands, you know, because they had that big sound, you know. But and it, it, when those bands came to town, they would come to town. A day before the gig, yeah, because on on Tenth Street, right across from where Williston is, yeah, uh, uh, between Tenth and what is that Dock? Is that Dock and uh, uh, yeah, it's close. Castle. Yeah, yeah, Castle, well, yeah, Tenth and Castle. Well, it was between there. Yeah. It, it, what is, I, I guess the, the baseball field is still there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the musicians would come to town. And they would always have softball games out there, and the musicians would participate in the softball games. Wow, that's amazing. The day before their gig, you know. But it added a certain sophistication to Wilmington. Yeah. Because, see, because this music, I don't call it jazz, I call it American classical music. Yeah. Jazz I is love that. Well, you know what? This music I, is the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Really? No, because I just want to um, hit that point, because. Um, you don't call it jazz, you call it American classical music, which I think is beautiful because it is, you know, very akin to classical music. Um, and I guess why, you know, I guess how did it get the name jazz and, you know, why do you kind of shy away from calling it that? Because it's derogatory and meaningless. Yeah. That term was created by people who couldn't play it, first of all. <laughs> uh, I think it was created by New Orleans aristocrats. Yeah. Who, after visiting the whole houses in New Orleans, heard these... Uh, non-Europeans because some of them were Creoles yeah. playing this music because they had, to have, they had to perform music while these guys were doing whatever they, they were doing with those women. Right. So the first thing they called it was nigger music. Yeah. At least in my opinion. You know, so sure. one of the most yeah. civilized brothers said, well, don't call it that. Yeah. So they said, okay, we'll call it cool music. <laughs> that's, well, that's not, not, that's not nice either. So then they called it, um, Jungle music. And if you look at some of Duke Ellington's early recordings, yeah. it says Duke Ellington and Jungle music. Now you can Google this. Interesting. Duke Ellington and Jungle music. So finally what happened was the first band that recorded something, uh, recorded some of this music, were Europeans. And, and they called themselves the original. Dixieland 
jazz band, and they spelled it J-A-S-S. Huh. So eventually, because that was short for jackass. Right, right. Everybody knew that. Huh. So eventually, they changed that around, and they changed it to J-A-Z-Z. They give it some kind of pizzazz. Yeah. But the pilots and, and the thieves and, and the parasites, they control the music. The promoters, the agents, the club owners, they're the ones who control this music. Yeah. Not, not the people who perform it. Right, right. Unfortunately. Yep. Unfortunately. Yep. You know. Uh, but the bond, the point I'm trying to make is the bond had a certain sophistication to Wilmington because these guys are just, man. Yeah. The most sophisticated music in the world. You know, these guys had nice suits on and they travel in a nice bus. And yeah. And I gather that this was the type of, I mean, this is also partly the era, too, but this was the type of place people would get dressed up to go out, the, you know, on the scene music, right? Yeah, they, they, don't, they didn't have pants hanging all over, over their mind, <laughs> right. looking, looking like a bunch of idiots, you know, because this music requires sophistication. And yeah. my, dad, my dad would always show me this photo of him leaning across the bar talking to Miss Carrie Whitt, Whitt, who was the wife of Mr. Johnny Whitt. Okay, yeah. But my, my, my dad was dressed to the nines. Well, I believe but it. But was always a dress, he was always a dresser anyway. <laughs> but Mr. Whitt's granddaughter, she granted me an interview, man, it must have been, I wish I could find it now, yeah. a live interview, when I was able to incorporate some of her quotes yeah. anytime I write about the bar. But she, said that her, grand, her grandfather was a master promoter. He'd go all over town plastering up uh, flyers and posters yeah. about the next gig. And, and he had this connection. See, when these guys came down, they just been playing women and they would go yeah. to Rocky Mount, Durham, kids in the all places. Huh. Yeah, so they make a whole circuit. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, that's what they do. Yeah, right, they circuit, but see, yeah. And I, I, I always wondered why Kinston. Huh. Kinston, if you notice, Kinston is located near Camp Lejeune. True. And a lot of those uh, Marines were from up north or from other places. Not necessarily up north, but, but from other places. So that's why they, that's why they had a they were able to have a crowd. Yeah. Well, and then um, from what I was reading, some of the things you've written says, I mean, like some of these guys would come back year in, year out, right? Like Louis Armstrong and other um, uh, people oh, yeah. would come back in every year, right? For, um, for like, a time. Well, yeah, I, like I said before, she said that Lionel Hampton was a regular. Yeah. He came all the time. Yeah. And I said, a regular? She said, yeah. So did Louis Armstrong. Yeah, and this was all, and this was obviously, you know, in the forties and fifties, you know, Wilmington was still segregated. But from what I can gather, um, it was at least shows were at least somewhat integrated at the barn, right? I mean, you'd have white people and black people yeah, going. Yeah, that's what they're doing. Yeah, that's what they're doing. Yeah, um, they, I think the uh, Europeans would be upstairs. Yeah, interesting. But when the music started playing. They left upstairs and came down and started dancing. Because, like I said before, this is. Dance music. Yeah. So it had a balcony there as well. Yeah. Okay. And even even this music that people call bebop, which is a misnomer too. Yeah. I call it modern American classical music. Yeah. Because modern here 
it began in, in favor you know that was uh i guess the end of the of the business but you know what's interesting to me is that you know there's not much in wilmington today that really acknowledges the barn was there i mean what would you like to see happen you know in that regard i mean um you know for maybe to have it some kind of a historical marker or something like that oh, i'll leave that to somebody else yeah right now i'm work, working on a book called the carolina jazz connection okay Like magically transport yourself back in time and go see one show at the barn. Which uh, who would you pick? Oh, Count you talked to it and then one other one last question I'll, I saw in the story you, wrote, you had talked to um, 
I believe it was uh, Jimmy Heath um, of the of the Heath brothers, Percy and Tootie. Uh, Jimmy was the one of the brothers, and he you know lived part of his youth here in Wilmington. And he talked with you about playing at the barn. Is that right? That was a good homecoming for him. Well, um, Larry Rooney Thomas, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us here on Cape Fear on Earth. No problem. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Cape Fear on Earth and our look at the history of legendary Wilmington Jazz Club of the Barn. We'll be back soon with another chapter of Wilmington history. Till then, make sure you're a member of our Facebook group where listeners can ask questions about our episodes and share their own memories of the region's history. In that group, I post extra content from each episode and links to all my coverage of local history for the Star News. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear and Earth on Facebook. Don't forget to sign up for the Cape Fear and Earth newsletter that goes out every Thursday. Sign up for the newsletter at stardewsonline.com newsletters. Cape Fear and Earth was written, edited, and hosted by yours truly, John Staten. You can find more of my work at stardewsonline.com. This podcast was made possible by listeners and readers like you. Support local journalism and Cape Fear and Earth by subscribing to the Star News today at starnewsonline.com. Subscribe. And while you're subscribing to things, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you stream this show so you never miss an episode. While you're there, leave us a review, which will help more people find Cape Fear and Earth. Till then, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. You never know what you might unearth.